Christ Jesus, our Lord. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Let us pray. O God, you are most glorious. You are holy. And on the first day, you began creation, bringing light out of darkness. And on this first day, you bring, you begin your, you have begun your new creation, raising Jesus Christ out of the darkness of death. With Jesus Christ, there is a new creation, a new life, a new covenant, a new humanity. And we praise you that through faith in him and baptism in his name, we are brought into that new uh, people that you have created. On this Lord's Day, raise us up to you and grant that we, the people you create by water and the Spirit, may be joined with all your works in praising you for your great glory. Through Jesus Christ, in union with the Holy Spirit, we praise you now and forever. Amen. Our first hymn is number 316, The Mighty God the Lord. 316, The Mighty God the Lord. Proof of God's amazing love is this, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Because we have faith in him, we dare to approach God with confidence, which means, among other things, that in faith and repentance, we confess our sin before God and before one another. Let us pray together. Most holy and merciful Father, we acknowledge before you our sinful nature, which is prone to evil and slow to do good as well as to confess all our shortcomings and offenses. You alone know how often we have sinned in wandering from your ways, in wasting your gifts, in forgetting your love. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. 
We are ashamed and sorry for all wherein we have displeased you. Teach us to hate our errors, cleanse us from our secret faults, and forgive our sins for the sake of your dear Son. Help us to live in your light and to walk in your ways according to the commandments of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Please stand for the assurance of pardon. Hear the good news. Who is in a position to condemn, to make that final decision about us? Only Christ, and Christ dies for us. Christ rose for us. Christ reigns in power for us. Christ prays for us. There is in Christ a new creation. The old life has gone, a new life has begun, and a new life for each one of us. I declare to you that all those who have faith in Jesus Christ and do repent of their sin are truly forgiven of all their sin. Let us hear this good news and be at peace and say together, praise be to God. Church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the third commandment is this, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. You are not to try to put God under your power, which is something that Humankind, in its arrogance, thinks that it might be able to do. Um, Maybe not consciously thinking that, but in effect trying to do that. You must not try to manipulate God for your own purposes. There are stories about this in the scripture, like the seven sons of Sceva, who tried to pronounce the name of the Lord over the evil spirits. But in the end, they were overpowered by the evil spirits because they were not doing this with faith in Jesus Christ. Do not attempt to use God to control others or to control life for your own purposes. Neither are you to make God's name empty as if he is not real, nor the Lord of all creation. Christian people, you are to bring honor to God in all that you do. Jesus Christ bears the name of God. He is God. It is upon him that God has bestowed the name which is above every name, which is Lord. And now we who are baptized into Christ bear that name of God. We are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. His mark is upon us, and so we are under him, we are subject to him, we serve him, we submit to him. Because we bear the Lord's name, we are to bring honor to God's name at home and in our marriages, in our, with our children, at work, in the church, in our friendships, in our social relations, and in this whole world. Baptized into Christ, we are to bring honor to God's name. For this is God's will for us in Jesus Christ, and let us say, Amen. Our hymn is Great King of Nations. Hear our prayer number 713. of nations hear our prayer while at your feet we fall and humbly with united cry to you for mercy call a guilt is ours but grace is yours oh turn us not away But hear us from your lofty throne And help us when we pray Our Father 
sins were manifold and ours no less we owe. Yet wondrous me from age to age your goodness has been shown. When dangers like a stormy sea beset our country The Lord does hear our prayers through Jesus Christ. It is in his name that we pray for those in need. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Almighty and sovereign God, we praise you that Jesus Christ humbled himself in order to exalt us. We praise you that though he was rich, he did, not, he did for our sakes become poor, so that by his poverty we might become rich. Especially, we praise you that Jesus, having been put to death in the flesh, was made alive in the spirit, and that he has now gone to your right hand with the angels, the authorities, powers, rulers, all subject to him. We thank you for the witness of prophets and apostles through whom you have spoken to us. We thank you that as those who have not seen and yet believe, like Abraham and David, we are blessed. We praise you for your sovereign and good purpose for your good governance of your creation, and for the assurance that you are at work in all things for our good and your glory. Grant us the faith, we pray, so to believe that we might boldly live, loving, believing, confessing, and rejoicing in the name of Christ. Hear our prayers as your people for faith and courage as we live in this world. We pray for the church, the community of your grace, which you are building up in this world by your word and spirit, for this congregation, for our presbytery, for your church throughout the world. We ask you for your mercy and grace. Especially we pray for grace truly, to, for us to truly be of one heart and soul. Forgive our sins, correct our errors, make us to serve you by serving one another. See fit, we pray, to bless us with growth. Enable us more faithfully to witness to Christ. Hear our prayers for the church and our missionaries, for Ben Westerveld in Quebec, Mark Richline in Uruguay, and New City Church in Grand Rapids, their pastor Tony Miles, for Wes Reynolds, the stated clerk of Presbytery. For all of these and their families, hear our prayers.
We pray for the world, for our nation and rulers. Do not let us forget that Jesus Christ is Lord. Bring rest from conflict in Syria and Mexico, Ukraine, Afghanistan, Israel and Palestine, China, Yemen, and the Korean Peninsula. Preserve your church in those countries. Show mercy to us in this land. May there be good policies that stop the increase of violence in our cities. Help the people in Perryton, Texas, recover from the destruction of the tornado. And bless and guide our leaders, especially we pray for Joe Biden, our president, Governor Whitmer, our senators and representatives, the Supreme Court as it renders its decisions. And may we always obey your word and bear witness to the redemption of Christ for your creation. Hear our prayers for the nations in this world and for those who rule us over us. We pray for those who are sick, for those who suffer, for those who are discouraged, for those who are struggling. We do give you thanks for the healing, renewal, and protection that you've given us this past week. Hear our prayers now for Luca and Don, for Fawn and Eduardo, for Frida, Jeff, Tammy and her family, along with our friends Becky, Ron, Chris, Angie, Karen, Bob, Tom, Phil, Dominic, Vicki, Caroline, and others we name to you in silence. We give you thanks for hearing our prayers and acting on them according to your good purposes. For the ministry of the word made effective by your spirit and for the preservation of this congregation, we pray, continue to give us your grace May we be witnesses to your salvation in Jesus Christ here and in every place we live. Bring many more people to Christ and into the family of his church. And now, Almighty Father, ruler of all things in heaven and earth, accept the prayers of your people and strengthen us to do your will in the new life of your spirit. Through Jesus Christ, who taught us when we pray to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let us present our gifts and offerings to the Lord.
Please stand as we pray uh, for the presentation of the offering. Ever blessed and gracious God, who in the abundance of your goodness does always give us more than we desire or care to ask. Pour forth upon us, we beseech you, the spirit of thankfulness and increase in us that most blessed grace of charity. That we may always be more willing to give than to receive. And so rule our hearts that all we have may be to your service. And we bring ourselves to be consecrated to you through Jesus Christ our Lord. As we pray, I wanted to read from you from what uh, the Apostle Peter has written, referring to the testimony about Christ. He writes, we ourselves, excuse me, and we have something more sure, the prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention is to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so this is indeed God's word, and we ask for his grace and his Spirit's help in order to receive it. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we acknowledge the gift, the, the, the truth, the good, the authority of your word. Prepare us to hear it this morning and to be transformed in, more and more into the image of our Savior, Jesus Christ. For this we pray in his name. Amen. A reading. Our Old Testament reading is from Daniel chapter 5. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the household. 
Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem, he, he brought, that the kings and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans and astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his color changed, and his lords were perplexed. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers, because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king called Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show you the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I have heard of you that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation. But they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck, and she'll be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself, and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed, 
and whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne, and his glory was taken away from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind, and his mind was made like that of a beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets, it, sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your, your heart, though you knew all this. But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. And the vessels of this house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath in whose are all your ways you have not honored. Then from his presence the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Mini, mini, tekel, parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mini, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tikal, you have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. Peres, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Let's turn next to our Psalter response, printed in the bulletin. By the waters of Babylon, when we remembered Zion, We hung up our lyres, required of us songs. Sing us one of the songs of Zion in a foreign land. Let my right hand forget its skill. If I do not remember you. Above my highest joy. Remember, O Lord, against the Elamites. The day of Jerusalem. As they said, lay it there, lay it there. Down to its foundations. O water of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed. Blessed shall he be who repays you. What have you done to us? Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones. Our epistle reading is from the book of Revelation, chapter 18. Verses 1 through 
After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the church was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. And finally, our gospel reading from Matthew, chapter 13. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned but gather the wheat into my barn. The word of the Lord. We don't like to think about it much, but societies do come to an end. Our lives are embedded in a society. And some of us, like Eduardo grew up in one society but relocated to another. Now he is embedded in American society with his rich Chilean accent. It has given him many opportunities and he's taken advantage of them. Whatever society we live in, we don't much like thinking about it coming to an end. That is, unless the society in which you live has thrown itself against you, devastated you, or abused you, then you might entertain thoughts of its demise. Babylon, was devastated, Babylon devastated the Jews. Around 586 before Christ, the Babylonian army marched into Judea, confiscated most of the grain, the animals, the valuables, and it took the people captive. Then it surrounded Jerusalem and besieged the city. And after several months, the Babylonians broke through the walls and plundered the city. They killed many of its inhabitants and they took the vast majority of the people captive and led them back to Babylon in chains. The Babylonians also raided the temple. They stripped off its precious metals. They stole the sacred utensils and vessels and took those items back to Babylon. And then it raised the temple to the ground. In captivity, the Jews were expected to honor Babylon's gods even while they worshipped their own god. They could worship their god, but they must always honor the Babylonian gods above their own god. 
The Babylonians harassed and abused the Jews who were brought back to Babylon. In Psalm 137, which was our responsive um, psalm this morning, is a lament set at the time when the Jews lived in Babylonian society. It begins, By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows, there we hung up our lyres, for there our captors required of us songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. I hope you hear the the mocking that's in that. At the end of the psalm, it says, O daughter of Babylon, you devastator, how happy shall he be who requites you with what you have done to us. And it has that line in it at the very end that has been offensive to many modern people about dashing the little ones against the rock. It sounds horrific. How could anyone do that? And, of course, uh, we have to be careful how we interpret that and understand that as Christians because Jesus teaches us to love our enemies. And yet the whole psalm is, is expressing how it, it, it desires the end of Babylon, the end of those who uh, created such um, havoc and destruction for the Jews. And so it's a way of saying, may this society as it is established, may it not continue. Needless to say, there were, they, these were a people who looked forward eagerly to, de, to the demise of Babylonian society. Now, most of us, on the other hand, do not like to think of American society coming to an end. Even its strongest critics, which there seem to be many of them, who live in this society talk about progressively changing it and improving it. They prefer the freedom they have in American society, the freedom to live life the way they want to live it, the freedom to speak out and challenge the status quo. Rather, here than in Russian society where the oligarchs like Putin kill their outspoken opponents, rather here than in Chinese society where the state demands absolute loyalty and tries to control everything, and perhaps, although not all Americans would would find this a problem, but perhaps Here, more than in French society, where you must live like the French or risk being fined, for instance, for not wearing a head covering or a face covering, uh, for, for wearing a head covering or a face covering like some of the Muslim people want to do in France. We don't like to think about society coming to an end. Modern secular society has its reasons for what destroys a society. So even though we don't like to think about it, there are those who studied it and have come up with their reasons, and secular secular reasons. The Enlightenment historian Edward Gibbons is famous for his study of the Roman Empire, and he wrote that several-volume work on it, the uh, Roman Empire that collapsed in the 5th century after Christ. He blamed the collapse of Roman society on the Christianization of the empire because of its passive Christianity has this uh, passive, uh, a pacifist identity, and he believed that suppressed the fighting spirit of the Roman army. So because of the Christianization, the Roman army became weak, and it couldn't hold up to the uh, different tribes that were coming down from the north. Now, classicists today believe the fall of the Roman Empire was from a combination of factors, including Christianity, decadence, The metal lead, lead was in the water supply, monetary trouble, military problems, but these are all secular reasons, or at least they're the reasons that would come in sort of natural reasons. There's a recent book 
that has come out, oh, no, it's not that recent, but a book that argues that civilizations rise and fall because of guns, germs, and steel. Those three things have been the, the major uh, factors involved in one civilization growing and another one collapsing. In our current moment, many would say industrial pollution and climate change will bring an end to societies across the earth, including American society. Australia's top climate scientist says we are already deep in the trajectory towards collapse of civilization, which may now be inevitable, inevitable because nine of the 15 known global climate tipping points that regulate the state of the planet have been activated. Now, these reasons might contribute to, to a society's demise, but scripture points to one cause for the end of societies in this world and that, go, that goes beyond the secular. And that one reason for the collapse of societies in this world that scripture, at least our scriptures today, talk about is God. Now, like all ancient kingdoms, Babylon was a sacred society. The Babylonians had their gods, and they expected everyone under their influence, under the influence of the Babylonian Empire, to worship those gods. This is what we heard in Daniel chapter 3. I've been preaching through the book of Daniel, and in Daniel chapter 3, we heard that the king, uh, it, it tells of, the, the, of King Nebuchadnezzar setting up the golden image. The king set, sent out a decree to all the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. It was a sacred image that wrapped together the king, the kingdom, and its gods. It's hard for us in our uh, separation of church and state kind of a, a society to understand this, but it wrapped together the king, the kingdoms, the kingdom and its gods. And if you bowed down to the golden image, you bowed down to the king and to his kingdom. It was wrapped together. All the leaders and officials in the Babylonian kingdom were to bow down and worship it. And in verse 4 of chapter 3, the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, you were to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And that included the Jews and their leaders like Daniel's friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The public space of Babylon was a sacred space. There were state temples all over the places, temples to their gods, but they were sponsored and, and supported by the, the government, the state. Worship of the gods was a public event. Babylon was a society that unified the sacred with the rest of life. There was no separation like we talk about it today of, between sacred and secular. Because the Babylonians worshipped gods that were not the Lord of heaven and earth, it was idolatry. Giving worship to anything besides the one true God is idolatry. And this is what King Nebuchadnezzar demanded of everyone in his kingdom. Now, in our lesson this morning, there's a new ruler, Belshazzar. And it's a little bit confusing, so I felt like I needed to, to explain this. Belshazzar was the son of a king named Nabonidus. He became king of Babylon by way of a coup following Nebuchadnezzar. So after Nebuchadnezzar was dead, there was a coup, and Nabonidus became the, new, this, this, the next king. 
And for a number of years, Nabonidus was absent from Babylon. He went off, I don't know what he was, I don't think they know for sure where he was, what he was doing, but he wasn't there for about 10 years. And during that time, Belshazzar, or Belshazzar functioned as the ruler of Babylon while his father was away. And verse 2 is perplexing because it says Nebuchadnezzar was Belshazzar's father. Now, you might have a footnote in your Bibles that suggests what, this, what is meant by the word father is predecessor. Not Belshazzar's literal father, but his predecessor. Father can be used that way as uh, you know, our, our fathers in the faith, those who went before us. Probably with reference to Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar, Daniel chapter 5 is indicating that it's focused on that time at the end of the kingdom of Babylon when Nebuchadnezzar, Nabonidus, who's not named, and Belshazzar ruled. And so it's a way of saying that, that this is during that time when those, those uh, rulers were, were active. Now, the name Belshazzar means Bel protects the king. Bel was the chief god of the Babylonians. Babylonian society and its gods continued to be wrapped together with Belshazzar. It hadn't changed. That part of it was still very much in place. Now, the first six stories in the book of Daniel are about God's people living in a society that is opposed to God. The stories bring out different aspects of such a society. What is a society like? And Daniel makes that clear with these stories. One of those stories is about idolatry. I mentioned that in chapter 3, the story of King Nebuchadnezzar and the golden statue. Last week, we heard the story in chapter 4 about the king's hubris, his excessive pride. He claimed what rightly belongs to God. We're not talking about ordinary pride. We're talking about hubris, which claims something that rightly belongs to God. Namely, the king claimed sovereignty over his kingdom and over the world. And this morning, we've heard a story about blasphemy. Like hubris, blasphemy is an act committed directly against God. It insults God, or it shows contempt for God. While hubris tries to take something from God, blasphemy gives something to God. It gives him offense, disrespect, and scorn. Belshazzar's blasphemy shows itself at his feast. In verse 2 in Daniel chapter 5 says, Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar his father had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. And then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. These vessels from the temple in Jerusalem were sacred. They were set apart by God for a holy use. In the first place, it is God who commanded the priest to craft the utensils that would be used in in worship. If you looked back at Exodus chapter 40, there God is giving commands to Moses and to the uh, priests there to create these utensils. They were items that were set apart for the worship of God. And originally they were used in the tabernacle, and then then when the temple was built, there there were utensils and vessels and things there. The vessels of the temple were consecrated by God for the worship of him. And Solomon had the vessels for the temple made per God's command. 
First Kings says, So Solomon made all the vessels that were in the house of the Lord, which included the cups, the snuffers, the basins, the dishes, and he made them of pure gold. In addition, Solomon brought in the things which David, his father, had dedicated, the silver, the gold, and the vessels, stored them in the treasuries of the house of the Lord. So they were for use in the worship of the Lord. And it's very important to understand the object of that worship, the Lord God, the creator of heaven and earth, the God who revealed himself and delivered Israel from its slavery in Egypt. These vessels were looted from the temple by the Babylonians, and they were what Belshazzar commanded be brought to the feast. What Belshazzar did with these vessels was blasphemous. He used these sacred vessels knowing that they were dedicated to the God of Israel to praise the gods of silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. The king's banquet had signs of being a feast of self-indulgence, ostentation, decadence, carousing. To put it in today's language, it was a wild party. It was self-indulgent. But as much as the Bible condemns such decadent behavior, Daniel did not locate Belshazzar's sin in his debauchery. Daniel calls out what the king did with, the God, with God's sacred vessels. That's where Daniel puts the focus for this blasphemy. Blasphemy is doing something directly against God. And the basic meaning is speaking against God. Daniel says to King Belshazzar in verses 22 and 23, You have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of this house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives, your concubines have drunk wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your very breath, and whose are all your ways you have not honored. Blasphemy might, by its basic definition, mean speaking against God, but it's not limited to words. Blasphemous action can coincide with speaking against God, and we see that in the story about Belshazzar. At the heart of blasphemy is speaking against God, and that's what King Belshazzar did when he praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone with the holy vessels from the temple in Jerusalem. So there was speaking and acting going on here together that was blasphemous. Daniel says that from Nebuchadnezzar to Belshazzar, there had been idolatry, hubris, and blasphemy. The difference is that Nebuchadnezzar had repented when he was confronted by the Lord with the prophet Daniel, but Belshazzar did not. Nebuchadnezzar commanded all the officials in Babylon to bow down to his golden image. And when Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, those three friends of Daniel, those are their Babylonian names, when they did not bow down, the king threw them in the fiery furnace. God delivered them, and the king repented. In that story in in chapter 3, we hear of the king repenting, and he confessed Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has, sent, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. That's what the king said. And it was the same when King Nebuchadnezzar was full of hubris and he asserted himself as sovereign over the world as he knew it. 
God reduced him down to the status of an animal that grazes in the fields. But in due time, Nebuchadnezzar lifted up his heads to heaven and he blessed the Most High and praised and honored him with this confession. For the Lord's dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are good and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. That's uh, Daniel chapter 4. And even Nebuchadnezzar, the king after Nebuchadnezzar, repented. Now, that's not mentioned in the book of Daniel, but there are, are other stories, Jewish stories, that from, uh, namely from the Qumran community, that told of him repenting of his idolatry. So, at least in the, the, the mind of, of Israel, even Nebuchadnezzar, the king after Nebuchadnezzar, had repented. But Belshazzar did not repent. He had learned nothing from Nebuchadnezzar and what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. With Belshazzar, Babylon bottoms out in its opposition to God. His blasphemy is fully and brazenly against God. As the king went, so did Babylonian society. God puts an end to blasphemous society. A society becomes blasphemous when it directly opposes God. Opposing the church may feel like blasphemy to us. And so you'll hear the word blasphemy thrown around a lot, and we Christians throw it around a lot. And sometimes when we're feeling like we're, we're being ridiculed or mocked uh, personally, we, would call that, we might call that blasphemy. But it's not the same thing as speaking directly against God. So, for example, the antics of those who call themselves the sisters of perpetual indulgence that have created that uproar with the Dodgers baseball franchise and the Catholic Church they make themselves look like nuns, but they're actually dedicated to moral decadence. And what they are doing is insulting and offensive to the church. The Catholic Church has said that publicly. This is offensive, that you are dressing up like our nuns who set apart themselves for this certain kind of religious life. But it's not direct blasphemy against God. There's a little bit of a difference there. On the other hand, Monty Python's comic movie, The Life of Brian, if you're old enough, you uh, may remember that. It was released in 1979. It does begin to cross the line into blasphemy. In that movie, an ordinary first century fellow, as it's presented, named Brian, has a somewhat parallel life with Jesus. And the result is that he's constantly being confused with Jesus. And at the end of the movie, Brian is crucified, and while he's on the cross, he sings, Always look on the bright side of life. It was condemned by Christians back when I was in high school. It was condemned by Christians as blasphemous. It still is. And you can see why. It's because it's a direct insult to Jesus Christ, which is different than directly insulting me as a Christian. Certain atheists today have issued a blasphemy challenge. And this is how they explain it. The blasphemy challenge is essentially a statement that a person is so confident that God does not exist that he or she is willing to risk it all by committing a sin that the Bible says God will not forgive, blasphemy. And yet, it's been pointed out that blasphemy is not denying the existence of God. That's, that's not exactly what blasphemy is. In the Gospels, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is attributing the work of Jesus to the devil. 
Now, these are individual cases, but societies can collectively move toward outright opposition to God. Here's an example. The French Revolution in the 18th century set out to de-Christianize France. And some of the leaders worked to replace Christianity and God with the cult of reason. There was one named Antoine Momoreau who declared at the Festival of Reason, from now on there will be one God, the people. Church buildings across France were transformed into modern temples of reason. The largest ceremony of all was at the Cathedral of Notre Dame in Paris. Notre Dame had been taken over during the French Revolution and was trying, they tried to convert it into one of these temples of reason. The Christian altar in that church was dismantled and an altar to liberty was installed and the inscription to philosophy was carved in stone over the cathedral's doors. Festive girls in white Roman dress and tricolor sashes milled around a costumed goddess of reason who impersonated uh, liberty. A flame burned on the altar in, in the church, which was symbolic of truth. And the goddess figures were portrayed by living women. And in Paris, the role was played by Momoro's wife, Sophie, who was said to have dressed provocatively. And according to Thomas Carlyle, she made one of the best goddesses of reason. He, th- he, was, he thought she was one of the best, though her teeth were a little defective. <laughs> The intent was to transform French society, but there was pushback, and the Christian church was well entrenched in French society, and so the Catholic church was given a place in the new republic, and it was able to kind of come back into its position, at least somewhat. In the New Testament, Babylon becomes an icon for what has happened to human society. Babylon becomes a name in the New Testament that, that exceeds just the historic nation back in the area of Mesopotamia, it becomes sort of an example or an icon of what has happened to all of human society. And this is what we hear in our epistle lesson from Revelation 18. Revelation 18 is a lament. It's a lament for society that had many good things, but it had become blasphemous. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. So all nations have imbibed in the same spirit that uh, was the spirit of Babylon. Human society has many good things about it, and we need to mark those, even in our own society, many, many good things, but it has been marred by its opposition to God. The nations have slept with Babylon, and the system of this world is against God. The lament in Revelation speaks of its blasphemous worship. It speaks of its wealth at the expense of the poor. It speaks of of Babylon's self-glorification. Scripture tells us that God brings idolatrous idolatrous and blasphemous human society to an end. So at the feast, back to Belshazzar, at the feast of Belshazzar, that divine hand wrote on the wall, mine mine tico parson. Literally, these words refer to weights that were used in measurement. So a mine was about 500 or 600 grams. A tekel was, um, or a shekel was about 10 grams, 
and a parsi was a half. Well, a half of what? Well, that depended on the context. So in this context, it would be half of a tikkul or a mina. Even though the surface meaning of the words is clear enough, there's also an allegorical meaning to them. There's a play on words going here. And Daniel was given the ability by God to interpret what it meant. The interpretation is based on this word play with each of the weights. So each of the nouns, each weight is a noun, uh, or each, the names of each of those weights is a noun, it also has a verbal root. So it's a noun, but it can also have a verbal form. And as a verb, mine meant to count, but it could also suggest to appoint or to destine, referring to the numbering of one's days. The verb, as a verb, tikkul refers to measuring, and in the Old Testament, it's used for measuring a person's moral value. And finally, the noun parsi has the verbal root, which means broken in half, but this noun also is similar, and you can even hear this in the English, to another noun, Persia. So with divine insight, Daniel puts this all together to give the king the interpretation in verses 26 through 28. God has numbered the days of your kingdom. You have been found morally lacking, and your kingdom will be given to the Medes and the Persians. God brings an end to the blasphemous society. In Revelation, the divine voice cries, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city, Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. God will not allow idolatrous, blasphemous human society to continue. God puts an end to the blasphemous society, but through Jesus Christ he creates a new society of people who honor him and worship him. It's in the parable of the weeds and the wheat that we we see these kind of put side by side. They both grow in the world. The, The parable makes it clear that the weeds were sown after the wheat had already been planted. Jesus says the weeds are the produce of the enemy, and the wheat is God's society growing in the world. Now, using the language of Scripture, Jesus Christ creates that new society by delivering its people from Babylon and into the kingdom of God. Now, the scripture has different ways of talking about the society that's, that's idolatrous and blasphemous and churned against God. In Colossians chapter 1, it's the kingdom of darkness, and we've been transferred into the kingdom of light. But Christ has created this new society, and in doing so, he delivers us from Babylon into the kingdom of God. In Revelation chapter 4, chapter 4 and 5 are such key chapters in Revelation And in chapter 4, the church and the heavenly host populate that new society. And they're all gathered together before the throne of God and the Lamb, worshiping him, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Through Christ, you belong to this society. We don't just automatically enter into that new society. We belong in it through Jesus Christ, through faith in him and being baptized into him. We don't belong to that blasphemous society of Babylon. Consequently, we must not get too attached to the societies of this world. And that's hard for us because we're embedded in them, like I said. But we must not get too attached to the societies of this world. Christians often talk about being pilgrims in this world. We are transient in Babylon. Our home is in the new society of Christ. 
And for now, we must live in the midst of blasphemous and idolatrous societies. And you can flee, you know, whenever, uh, late, lately in the last few uh, elections, whenever a new president gets elected, depends, doesn't matter if, which side you're on. The people who, who lose, you know, the party that doesn't get the uh, election, there are certain members, I've heard them say this to me, on both sides, who say, I'm leaving this country. I'm headed to Australia or somewhere else. Of course, they never do. But we live in this, in the midst of this blasphemous and idolatrous society, and we, and everyone will find themselves. Christians will find themselves wherever they go. You can't flee it that way. So the way we live in it is by worshiping God through Christ, not blaspheming God. We need to be careful about that because we can get drawn into that blasphemy. It's also learning the difference between laughing at ourselves as Christians and blasphemy of God. There's a difference there. And there are many humorous things about the church, about decisions it makes, the way it does things, about Christians and pastors and and all of that. If you uh, remember back in the 80s, 1980s, Saturday Night Live had that character to the church lady. Remember that? Dana Carvey created it and and was the the performer. And it lampooned the way some Christians act. And there are funny YouTubes also about televangelists. And if I'm not careful, there's going to be one about me. Sometimes when I get tongue-tied in worship or the hymn number is wrong, and, and that was not the intention of this morning, but I ended up putting the wrong hymn, hymn number in, so uh, we went with the, the hymn as it was posted. But um, anyway, when that happens, we laugh at ourselves, or we should, right? With all of that craziness, we laugh at ourselves. We Christians also use language that can sound funny, especially to those outside the church. We're so used to it, it doesn't sound funny to us, but outside the church, you use these words like pre-lapsarianism, post-lapsarianism, pre-mill, post-mill, all these different words we use. It, it just, for many outside the church, it sounds like gobbledygook. They're not familiar with it. And so if we can step outside of ourselves for a minute, we can laugh at ourselves along with the world in which we live, because there are things about us that are just funny. They, they just they don't come off. They, they come off unpolished or or just not um, not perfected. But we must never mock God or speak against Him. He's the one who saves us from our sin and gives us new life. He's the Almighty God whose ways are right and true. What we do is we make the good confession of who God is and what he's done for us. That's what we do. Confessing our faith is the exact opposite of blasphemy. Living in Babylon, we draw the line between blasphemy and worshiping God, between mocking him and revering him. Let us pray. Keep, O Lord, your household, the church, in your steadfast faith and love, that through your grace we may proclaim your truth with boldness and make the true confession of your name with reverence and honor. For the sake of your Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. So let us stand and confess our faith with the creed printed in the bulletin. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. 
and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, through whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for Pontius Pilate. He and was buried. And the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, And we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Our hymn as we approach the Lord's table is number 342, Christ has made the sure foundation.
This is the joyful feast of the people of God. Men and women will come from east and west and from north and south and sit at table in the kingdom of God. All who have been baptized, who profess faith publicly in Jesus Christ and are communicant members or belong to a Christian church, you are welcome to come and share in this joyful feast of our Lord. If that is not the case for you until such time that you are visibly joined with Christ's church, Christian church, you in those three ways, through baptism, confession of faith, and belonging to a Christian church, you should stay back until such time that you're visibly joined with Christ's people in those ways. According to the Gospel of Luke, when our risen Lord was at table with his disciples, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. The Apostle reminds the church, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not a communion in the blood of Christ? And the bread which we break, is it not a communion in the body of Christ? Join with me now in giving thanks to God for our new life and salvation in Jesus Christ. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give Him thanks and praise. It is right and it is our great joy at all times and in all places to give thanks to you, Holy Father, Almighty, Everlasting God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. We bless you for your continual love and care for every creature. We praise you for forming us in your image and calling us to be your people. We thank you that you did not abandon us in our rebellion against you, but sent prophets and teachers to lead us into the way of salvation. But above all, we thank you for sending Jesus, your son, to deliver us from the way of sin and death by the obedience of his life, by his suffering upon the cross, and by his resurrection from the dead. We praise you that he now reigns with you in glory and ever lives to intercede for us. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who leads us into truth and defends us in adversity and out of every nation unites us into one people of your church. Therefore, with the whole host of heaven and with your church on earth, we worship and glorify you, God most holy, and we sing with joy, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, all thy works shall praise thy name in earth and sky and sea. We give thanks to you, our Father, because our Savior Jesus Christ, before he suffered, gave us this memorial of the sacrifice until he comes again. And we do as he commands. We proclaim that our Lord Jesus was sent by the Father into the world, that he took upon himself our flesh and blood, our very human nature, and bore the wrath of God against our sin. We confess that he was condemned to die, that we might be pardoned, and suffered death that we might live. We proclaim that he is risen to make us right with you, and that he shall come again in the glory of his new creation. And so we make this memorial, and we celebrate our communion, and participate in that communion now and until he comes again. Heavenly Father, show forth among us the presence of your life-giving word and spirit, to sanctify us in your whole church through this sacrament. Grant that all who share the body and blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ, may be one in him and may remain faithful in love and hope with him. As this grain has been gathered from many fields into one loaf and these grapes from many hills into one cup, grant, O Lord, that your whole church may soon be gathered from the ends of the earth into your kingdom. 
So we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, and we offer our thanksgiving with one voice and say together, Amen. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ took the bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he also took the cup, saying, This cup is the cup of the new covenant sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me.
Jesus said, Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Take and eat this bread and drink this cup and remember Christ's body and blood given for you. Receive it with faith and thanksgiving. Take and eat and drink. Let us pray. Father of all, we give you thanks and praise that when we were still far off, you met us in your Son and brought us home. Dying and living, he bore our sin, gave us grace, and opened the gate of glory. May we who share Christ's body live his risen life. We who drink his cup show others the true vine. We whom the Spirit lights give light to the world. Keep us firm in the hope that you have set before us so that we and all your children shall be free in serving you and the whole earth live to praise your name through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our final hymn is number 345, Glorious Things of Thee Are Spoken.
fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon you all now and forever. Amen. to wish a happy Father's Day to you dads, and not so much in the way of a forebearer or predecessor like Nebuchadnezzar, and, but more in a familial way. Happy Father's Day. Okay, I'm looking at the bulletin and invite you to do so. We will have Christian education this morning, um, going through our book by Dane Orland, Gentle and Lowly. Next Sunday... Pastor Jeff will be away, and Steve Gonzalez will be here with us filling the pulpit. And uh, after worship that day, we will have the second of our conversations with the congregation. Um, We will work through some additional questions that we have about who we are as a church, what we're looking for going forward, uh, particularly in the way of... uh, you know, a pastoral search. So that's next Sunday. And then on July 9th, we will have a presentation um, describing the Celebrate Recovery group that will be meeting here at Providence eventually. And that is all I have. Heidi? Wilsons are looking forward to the baptism of their granddaughter, Talitha, and time spent with family. (laughs) Amen. Julie. Thank you. 
Julie treasures participating in communion (laughs) with this congregation. And that is all.